At MECED in Charlotte, North Carolina, we help transform the lives of young people who face obstacles. We are proud to point to the success of not only our graduates, but so many others in our community. Join us as we unlock the secrets to their success. You are going to hear how young people navigated a system that was not designed for everyone to succeed. You are going to be moved and inspired by the stories of each of our guests. Classes in session. Here is your host, Ross Dennis. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let's Event School, Season 2. Uh, we, we will air every week between 11 and 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, beginning last week, October 13th through January 5th, 2023. It's carried live on the Empowerment Channel of Voice America. And then the program becomes available on demand on multiple podcast platforms. Last season, we focused on inputs, you know, programs, policies, practices. We put a spotlight this season on outputs, you know, the people on the other end of our school experience the people whose experiences in school have contributed to who they are as adults. You know, everyone has their own unique school experience. Some of us have great memories of our years in school, while others had to overcome obstacles, excuse me, succeed in both school and in life. We want to highlight all your school experiences, some funny, some sad, some warm and endearing, and others frustrating or infuriating, all compelling all real, and all about our individual and collective experiences. What do we hope to learn? Well, we'll be looking for themes and shared experiences, both good and bad. We want to be inspired to create the schools that our kids need to thrive in the world in which they will live. Our goal is to invite and explore multiple perspectives. In addition to the experiences of those who attend public schools in different parts of the United States, We are inviting graduates of private, parochial, and homeschool to share their experiences. We want you to know you're in good hands, and you can share your story with us anytime live by calling 1-888-346-9141-1888-346-9141. Well, it's a pleasure uh, today to welcome two extraordinary people, Shelly Bybee, MECAT COO, and um, uh, former teacher herself. I would argue she's still a teacher. <laughs> and Greg Jackson. Greg Jackson is the founder of Heal Charlotte. We'll learn more about that in a little while. Greg moved to Charlotte in 2010 to be close to a family, his family, after a rough upbringing in Baltimore and New York in 2017, inspired by tense but fruitful talks with police during and after the 2016 Keith Lamont Scott protests he and Anton Smith founded a nonprofit called Heal Charlotte. Since then, Heal Charlotte has launched youth housing and anti-violence programs throughout the city and built partnerships not only with community groups, but institutions like Wells Fargo, Lowe's, and UNC Charlotte. Last year, he began to raise money for a project that aims to transform one of the city's most violent and impoverished corners and embraces both meaning and embraces both meanings of equity. Welcome, Greg. Glad you're with us this morning. So Greg is actually dealing with an emergency that has come up and he's going to try to join as soon as he can, which I think is just the nature of his work right now. Um, 
he's dealing with a lot of emergency housing situations. So he said that he will uh, be on as soon as he possibly can. Well, that's real. Uh, we yep. understand. <laughs> I'll jump in and basically say that we're talking about school not being a place. And I think about this quite a bit. So does Shelley. You know, Mark Twain famously said, never let school get in the way of an education. <laughs> we know that young people are always learning and that experiences matter regarding expanding our worldview or increasing opportunity. Greg, among so many others here in Charlotte region, is a tireless educator committed to serving young people who face obstacles that limit their access to excellence. He's not only going to discuss his own school experiences once he finishes with the emergency he's dealing with, <laughs> but also highlight how through his nonprofit, Heal Charlotte, he's transforming lives and building a bright future for the community he proudly serves. But before we get to that, and Greg, um, and once he's able to join us, I want to talk a little bit about school and education and how they're not the same thing, but they seemingly have been conflated, particularly in recent years when there's been so much talk about, well, what's, what is, what's the payoff for college? You go to college and you get out and you have all of this debt and you don't really, you're not really prepared for a job. And there was a time when college wasn't perceived to be vocational. Vocational meaning you're there to study a vocation um, and come out prepared for a job. One might argue that college was designed to prepare you for life uh, or that it's the backbone of a, a democracy or that you need your people inspired uh, and, and thinking critically in order to survive as a thriving um, civilization. Well, that's different from saying I, I graduated with a degree uh, in liberal arts, but it didn't get me a job. Well, maybe it wasn't supposed to get you a job. Maybe it was supposed to just make you a more interesting human being, uh, a citizen, someone who could um, vote and value evidence and search for truth, be constructively skeptical. Uh, that's a different set of metrics than, you know, simply coming out and getting a job as a pharmacist. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> but we, you know, at MECED, we, we focus quite a bit on the difference between saying we want kids to be college and career ready versus college or career ready. And I think, and we've heard this from several different sectors, uh, that we many people can embrace the or and that you know they hear the things like some people aren't aren't supposed to go to college well you know how about your kids are they are they not going to college how about um you know isn't it everyone's right to at least be prepared to have options to decide what they want to do you're right not everyone needs to go to college not everyone needs a certification in hvac systems either but everybody should have an option that's essentially what we do here at MECED and um, Shelly, you know, we, we talked a little bit about your experiences in school. Can we talk about your college experiences? Sure. Yeah. All seven years of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My college experience was, was fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was funny. I was talking with my girlfriend the other day about our college experience and, um, we had a history class together. So I was a secondary education major with a concentration in history and political science. Um, so just couldn't get enough of those classes. And it didn't matter what we were studying in history. I was into it. But I remember having to read Daughter of Persia. And, you know, it wasn't about um, 
knowing the content of the book, but the critical thinking that was um, encouraged in our discussions by the professor and, and just so much of that in college. Um, but yeah, I, I think you've, you've nailed it, Ross. We, and we see it every day at MacEd. <clears throat> for so many of our students and students anywhere, they haven't been allowed to think as big as college in many cases. You, you hear the conversation, well, why don't you become a plumber? Why don't you become an electrician? And, and absolutely, we need the trades. And if anybody's tried to do any home repair recently, I think we all see that we're in a position now where the pendulum swung so far, everybody should go to college, that we, you know, again, now we're valuing the trades. And so now we're trying to swing the pendulum back and push everybody that way. But it's so interesting to have the conversations with the students that doesn't excite them, that doesn't, um, they have no passion for it. And they're still discovering what they want to be. And that is what I did in college. I didn't go into college knowing what I wanted to be. I wanted to make soundtracks for movies. I have no musical background, but I thought that sounds like a cool job. And then I started taking tech, um, I think it was called Technicom classes and and things that I was like, I have no interest in sound engineering and this is not what I want. So it was that exploration through the different courses where I recognized, man, I really want to share my love of history and political science. Um, so when we take that opportunity away from students, because we think it's all about money and we say, you know, you can make 80 grand coming out as a plumber okay, well, if that's what you're going to push to your point, are you going to push your kid into that who absolutely does not want to and wants to go to college? Why don't we allow other students who don't have the resources, the exposure, why don't we give them the opportunity to dream just as big? Um, and sure, some of them may go and not finish, but to your point of what you get in a diverse environment of thought, um, and where you're encouraged to critically think, where you're encouraged to discover, there's a huge value to that. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I've told this story before. That's worth sharing again. But, you know, my dad sat me down when I was a senior in high school um, because I was scheduled to go to work as a Mason's helper, like an apprentice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in those days, $9.75 an hour. Uh, and mm -hmm. it was 1973. He said, well, you know, you'd be making 30000 a year uh, in college. What's that going to cost? It was a state school. It was $10,000 a year. So he said, if you add up the four years of missed wages plus the cost of college, you're out about two hundred grand. Oh, you want to be a teacher? They make $10,000 a year. It'll take you 20 years before you even break even on that investment. <laughs> and I have to say um, – you know, I was on the same plan as you, Shelley, seven years later. Um, uh, my first day, in the, next to the birth of our children and marrying my wife, that first day was like the greatest day ever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. The, the college experience, you know, just, a, I guess, a little bit about mine. I, I had my son while I was in college. So I was a junior when I became pregnant um, and I ended up transferring closer to home so I could have graduated with several degrees. I had so many credit hours, but um, earning that college diploma in the situation, you know, being a single mom and I had amazing support, um, but earning that college diploma in that um, circumstance of life, same thing, Ross, like I remember 
graduating that day meant so much more to me. Um, and the appreciation that I have for that diploma, um, because the work that was put into getting that was, um, I, I mean, I would get so tired just thinking about it because newborn babies don't care if you have a paper due the next day. <laughs> and my dad used to find me, I took uh, classes from home for a year. My dad used to find me asleep at the table in the kitchen because, um, you know, as soon as I put Dom to bed, I would start working on, you know, whatever I had for school. So yeah, the the um, what's accomplished in pursuing a degree um, teaches you so much too. the life lessons that you learn about perseverance and, um, you know, grit, determination. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I mean, a lot of employers say that what they value most about the diploma is just that they know that this person who graduated with a degree persisted enough to accumulate enough credits to get yeah. that diploma. Yeah. Uh, and that says a lot that speaks a lot to, to the person's value as an employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to go back to this idea of education versus school. Mm-hmm. school. School has become quite narrow in its focus. You know, the, once we decided that we we're going to measure reading and math, uh, schools began to shift, and, mm-hmm. and we focus now on reading and math. I'm not sure we we do much in terms of critical thinking or or, um, or uh, uh, the arts. The evisceration of the arts has taken place in our schools. Yeah. So, you know, when we think about what makes an educated person, well, you could imagine a person who continues to learn outside of school and, you know, mm-hmm. seeks out opportunities in the arts or museums or trips or just continues to read and be an engaged citizen uh, on a daily basis, not once you graduate high school. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's pretty extraordinary how to look at it. And I'm going to just kind of close out this segment and then welcome Greg to our our second segment, by by going back and doing a quick 30-second history lesson. So the first era of school was called scribal, meant that, you know, you and I, the three of us might hear that there's somebody in the next town who knows something, and people would travel and sit at the feet of that person and scribe, write down what they said. That era ended around the 14, late 1400s, and be, which began the uh, uh, typograph era. It was when books first became mass-produced. And that's when, you know, citizens all around the world said, oh, my God, books, books, they're going to ruin us. They're, they're, our minds are going to go to mush because these things are just taking away the Socratic method. Fast forward to today, and we're talking now, educators now are talking about the beginning of the cybernetic error where you don't need a brick and mortar building everything is available to everybody anywhere 24 7 and that's i mean we are only at the beginning of that but there's so many interesting things happening i just recently was reading about the um uh, college uh, college of the people entirely online and it's free so uh, with the exception of a, a short uh, like a like a 35 dollar entrance fee so we we don't really know where this thing called education is going but we do know that school as we have understood it all these years might be in its last you know since last really last breath um because you don't need you really don't need all of those bricks and mortar to educate although you know 
we certainly find ways to do that well. So we're going to take a break in a moment. And uh, when we do, I'll have my screen up. When we do, um, we're going to hear a little bit more about MechEd. And we encourage you to go to our website at www.meched.org. And if you're so inspired, hit the donate button and uh, make a contribution to the work. Thank you. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding, University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. The goal is to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough, that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MECED, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think I, th I do think MECED is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so MECED means opportunity. Family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections, and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not, I don't know. Having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family. MECED's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're hitting on academics, you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like we have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and MacEd, not just in um, financial assistance, but also 
just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Dennis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. And we want to hear from you. Feel free to call in to ask a question or to tell us your story. Call in to 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show with Ross Dennis. Well, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening and thanks for paying some attention to the the infomercial on MechEd. Uh, we hope we hope you enjoy that. You know, we, Shelley and I have been talking about school and the difference between school and getting an education. Because you know we're learning all of the time. This doesn't have to be in a classroom. And we welcome now to our our program, Greg Jackson. You heard me in the opening uh, sec- segment introduce Greg, give you a little bit about his background as the founder of Heal Charlotte. I didn't mention that he was a rapper. And a sous chef at one point in his life. And it lived in Baltimore and New York City before coming to Charlotte in 2010. Uh, in 2017 was when he founded Hill Charlotte on the heels of the Keith uh, Lamont, Scott Lamont um, protest in the, in the city. Welcome, Greg. I want to I go back and hear about your experiences growing up. Like what was middle let, Let's start with middle school. What was middle school like for you? Um, those wonderful times of, of middle school. How y'all doing? Good morning. Um, man, middle school. I was uh, learning where I fit at and uh, in the environment uh, that, that was built for me. I was learning how where I fit in, um, like fitting into like social classes, right? That's kind of like what middle school was about. It was kind of figuring out you know, were you like the cool kid? Are you the funny kid? Uh, are you taking your, your studies seriously? I had certain classes that I, you know, absolutely loved, um, like English, history, uh, social studies. Um, and I had classes that I knew I was good at. So I was lazy, like math. I was <laughs> very lazy in math um, because I knew I had a I had a talent with numbers. So um it also is when i got introduced to older kids kids that were going into high school um you know ninth graders that would come to the middle school after school and chill and um starting to learn that most of my friends were in high school <laughs> um when i left school and i went back into my neighborhood my friends were in high school they were most of them were older than me um, so I was definitely trying to impress those guys. Uh, and what else? I was a boy going through puberty. So that's when you like girls. So plenty of distractions in middle school, mm-hmm. plenty of distractions. Um, but yeah, I was studious. I was a good student. Um, so also the first time I cut school was in mm-hmm. middle school. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a time. 
uh, I felt like the principal and my mother were were in cahoots because they just talked to each other and they were friends. I didn't know what was going on, but yeah, my my middle school life was was up and down, but I definitely enjoyed it. I went to Golden Ring Middle School in Baltimore, hmm. and uh, I'll mention that you know middle school is a time when young people are deciding if they fit in or not, just like you were saying, and if you fit in find a way to fit in and that works for you, it becomes part of your formula, your winning formula. One of those things we don't think about, but to this day, there are some of those decisions you made in middle school that inform the way you interact with people, how you, how you, uh, what you think is important, but it's not. It's fascinating. So let me ask you a question. Since you were really good with numbers, what, what did you have in eighth grade? Did you have algebra or pre-algebra? Do you remember? I had algebra. There you go. Yeah, in eighth grade. And then I think when I got to high school, I got to I got the calculus pretty quick. And I think I moved too fast because I was being lazy. So I wasn't even prepared for pre-cal. I wasn't prepared for calculus. I was just flying by doing stuff. So by the time math got hard, I was I couldn't it, it was hard for me to get back. Um but yeah. I was I was a geometry, pre-algebra, algebra. Those were kind of like some easy classes for me. Wow. Yeah. I mean, people will say that the world divides around that algebra versus pre-algebra. Because if you do the pre-algebra in eighth grade, you don't get to algebra until ninth. It actually precludes you being able to get to calculus at the end. Hmm. For many young people. Hmm. Well, it's critical critical that we somehow make algebra for all in eighth grade. Otherwise you take away an option for young kids. Hey, what about the arts? I'm interested in that. Were you, because you know, you're clearly a creative person. Were you involved in any kind of artistic activities in middle school or even high school? Yeah, I was, I almost got into Carver high school um, in, in Baltimore, which is a school of the arts um actually Jada Pinkett Smith and Tupac Shakur went to Carver High School wow. uh, and um I was supposed to go there but I was bad man and I ended up going to New York I went back home to New York um my mom was trying to get me in all of these high schools I got accepted to Archbishop Curley High School um in Baltimore I got I got accepted to some schools but I was just in the streets I didn't I didn't you know, at that time, I think by eighth grade, everybody was like sowing seeds into my musical talent. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I was in studios rapping. And I think that that vision and that dream that people sell you of, you know, becoming a rapper, especially in the 90s, that was like a thing in the black community where it was just you're going to be a rapper or play sports. Um, my mother was real big on you know, knowing other things, but outside of my house, um, the influences were all about being in entertainment, you know? So my mom might've preached to me about, you know, who Martin Luther King was and Shaka Zulu and Rosa Parks and all of these people that contributed to, you know, the forward movement of black people in America. But when I left my house, there was, there was no reflection of that outside. Right. So I gravitated towards the entertainment and started doing music and got a lot of popularity through doing music. So that's where I kind of sold a lot of my seeds and a lot of my talents. So the arts outside of, of school. 
that was outside of school. Mm-hmm. That was, um, you know, in Baltimore, um, there were two older gentlemen uh, that that really took me under their wing. They had a studio. My mom used to drive me there to the mm-hmm. studio to record until she stopped because she realized that there were other stuff happening in the studio that shouldn't have been happening. Um, but I, that, that was me being young with a lot of older gentlemen around um, that were pouring into me, but not necessarily for my education, really for my musical talents of what I can do on a microphone. So, and that just continued as I got older. My uncle went and got a, a, a record label when I went back to New York um to go to high school and my uncle started his own record label and that's where a lot of my my music talents were were invested in there so you're talking to somebody who uh, when when you say well i was bad i'm thinking yeah i was bad too man i i once i stole a kit kat bar <laughs> I got in trouble for it yeah, yeah. I, was, I was bad boy man yeah okay. yeah so i think when you say bad you're it's different Definitely, definitely di- different. Cutting school, smoking weed, um, hanging out with the older crew, uh, um, you know, getting in trouble with the law, probably around 15, 16, getting my first experience, you know, hanging out with older gentlemen that are mm-hmm. doing the wrong thing. And me being the youngest around, I would normally not get in trouble by law enforcement um, because I was a juvenile at that time. So, you know, I got sent home, um, but really didn't learn from any of those experiences of getting in trouble right, uh, right. until I was, you know, 17, 16, 17. Yeah. That older crew, and they, they're, it's so seductive for a young person to look at them and go, Oh man, aren't they the coolest? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Especially when they're playing football. Cause you don't, you don't pay attention to their grades, right? Mm-hmm. They, they never come to the crew, like, yo, I got straight A's, right? It's usually, yo, I got a football game here. I have a basketball game here. Um, people are popular for playing their sports, having the cheerleaders or the dancers around them. You know, uh, nobody in my crew was part of the chess club. Yeah, right. The math league. The math league or, yeah. you know, let's be the president of school board or, you know, junior president or something like that. We We weren't doing that. Um, which is why we tell these kids so much to watch the people that are around you, watch your friends, you know, make sure that you're creating a group that's, you know, uh, everybody is either on the same place and they're all trying to strive to the same place together. Or you have someone that is smarter than you that can that can take you to another level, you know, um, make sure that you have those motivational friends around you that want that want to sow a seed and you being a better person. So it seems like. Uh, mom has come up quite a bit. Mom driving you to uh, the studio until she found out what was happening at the studio. Mom in cahoots. I think that was your word. Mom, mom, mom was in cahoots with the, she was in cahoots with the principal. Right. I don't know what was going on. Yeah. I don't, I don't even want to go there, but, but I want to talk a little bit about the influence of mom was, where was dad? Was that in the picture at all? Yeah. So my pops was living in New York. Um, I met my dad. He says I met him before I was like five. I don't remember none of that stuff. But I met my dad when I was around 13, 14, around there. Um, so that's when he really came to my, came in my life on like an everyday uh, consistent time. Like it's, I went and moved with him when I moved to New York. 
he was also suffering from bronchitis, sarcoidosis of the lungs. So when he called me, I, I was 14. He asked me to come move with him because um, he also thought he was about to lose his life. Mm-hmm. So I ended up moving back to New York and my mom was like, you're getting out this. <laughs> you want to go to New York? Go to New York. And uh, yeah, I went to New York to be a rapper. I don't I don't think I went to New York for any other reason. And did were you did you? Yeah. That? yeah, I was I was successful. I, I had a lot of fun rapping. Um, my grandmother is the reason. My mother will take credit for this, but my grandmother was the reason why I went to culinary school. She she was all about plan B. What is the plan B? What what are you going to do just in case that doesn't work out? I'm not saying that it's not going to work out or you're not talented enough, but the average number of people that actually make it to that um, is very, very low. The ratio is low. So what are you going to do? So I love cooking. Yeah, I went to the Art Institute in New York and uh, just started cooking and started enjoying cooking uh, in the art of cooking and the different cultures that come with knowing how to be a chef. Creativity. Yeah. That goes with it. By the way, earlier, Shelly mentioned that she wanted to become a, uh, a she wanted to write film scores. And uh, last week I mentioned that, you know, I always thought that I was going to be the keyboard player in Bruce Springsteen's Bruce Springsteen's band. But you know, <laughs> apparently I was born to give seminars, not born to run. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time, Ross. It's still time. <laughs> yeah. And uh and in your case, you know, you fulfilled that dream. You were a rapper. You probably still are. I'm still a rapper. I do Christian hip hop now. So my mom is like very, very excited about that part. Um but yeah. Let's let's take a transition here for just a second, Greg, and, and talk to you a bit about there had to be some transformative moment or period of time when you talked about being a bad boy, running with a tough crowd, older guys. Uh, and here you are, you know, preaching, preaching the gospel, doing Christian rap and so much a part of your church here and so much a part of the community. Was there any one thing or were, were there a series of things that you could point to that said, no, this was transformative for me? Um, yeah, having my children hmm. are, is probably the most transformational thing um, that has happened to me. Uh, yeah. Losing my dad. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, so often in the community, you have single moms, young men growing up without their father. And then when you have children, you want to be the exact opposite of what that was. You want to make sure that you, you know, break the generational chain of, you know, fathers not being in the household. Um, And then when my father passed, that was just magnified times, times, whatever. I don't know. But it was just another drive um, for me to continuously keep working and keep growing and keep doing more as a father. Um, yeah, because it's like I, he's watching me all the time now instead of, you know, he can see me when I see him in person in the physical. It's like my dad's with me all the time. So that type of thing um, is, is really the transformation. But my daughters, man, especially my middle child, Gianna, um, when I because, you know, I'm the oldest of, of, you know, four of five. Right. Two of my dad's. Four, yeah. Five. So um, my. My first child, Jayla, 
was, you know, I'm sad to say, but I didn't really know what I was doing with her. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of a test run. You know? uh, but my, my middle child, when I decided to have another child, um, that was a big transformation for me to make sure that she doesn't experience the traumas, the trials, the tribulations that I, I experienced, um, that she sees the world in a different perspective, um, that she doesn't have access to the world. I, I don't, I don't introduce the world to her. I prepare her for the world. Um, but I introduce morals and values and, you know, culture on her and, um, and the gospel on her. And then as the world comes, I prepare her for that. So that, that I was transformed by, by my second child. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say I'm, I'm with you on that, that I'm a, I'm a better man because of my children. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Hopefully I'll get married and then I can say that about my wife. Like she made me a better man. My wife has absolutely made me a better man for 37 years. See how I threw you that alley hoop right there, bro? Thank you. You're always good at that. Always good at that. (laughs) We're going to take our our, our final break in just about 30 seconds. But Greg, I want to give you a chance to uh, give Heal Charlotte's website, uh, direct people to wherever you want them to go before we go to break. Yeah, go to hillcharlotte.org to learn all about Hill Charlotte and everything that we're doing. If you like to have it up uh, of a, a high speed of information, then go to our Instagram page, My Hill Charlotte, uh, at My Hill Charlotte on Instagram. You can just scroll and see all of the wonderful work that we're doing. Donate button is there. Um, but also check out all of the great organizations that are out here in Charlotte. They're doing great, great work and support them um, as you can. Thank you. Organizations like Megan. <laughs> Thank you for the alley-oop again. Uh, <laughs> when we get back from our break, uh, we're going to focus a bit on the program that, that Heal Charlotte is doing at one of our middle schools here in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and as well as how experiences outside of school can really inform the trajectory of someone's life. But thanks for listening. We'll see you on the other side. MechEd's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. We want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're here hitting on academics, you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like we have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and Mac Ed, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that 
is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding, University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. The goal is to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school. That school isn't enough. That to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MedEd, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think I, th I do think MedEd is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so MedEd means opportunity. Family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would would, would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not, I don't know, having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Dennis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. And we want to hear from you. Feel free to call in to ask a question or to tell us your story. Call in to 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show with Ross Dennis. Welcome back, everyone. And thank you again to Shelly Bybee, see you. MECED COO and to Greg Jackson, the founder and executive director of Heal Charlotte. You know, before the break, we were talking about how experiences matter in young people's lives and how adults matter in their lives. And I was I was reminded of some research that came out of England in the late 70s uh, called the Resilient Child Study. And they determined that one thing that made that made the difference in somebody's life is, is having even just one caring adult in their life. And it didn't have to be a parent. It could be a neighbor. It could be a grandparent, but somebody who they knew had their back was there for them. Um, and that made all of the difference in their lives. So Greg, uh, if you want to just jump in and talk about your work with young people, particularly middle school kids now and how being a caring adult in their life makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big believer in, um, being village minded, 
so we've been teaching the kid, uh, the kids at the after school program, a African term. Uh, it's really a South African term called Ubuntu, uh, which basically means I am because we are. I am what I am because we are all together. And um, it's really taking a village mindset of one person um, does not reach success without the village that is around them, um, whatever type of success that they're looking for. Uh, it does not happen by yourself. And the odds of you uh, being successful and working with the village around you, the odds of you being successful is um, is most likely. Uh, so right now, that's what we're, te- we're teaching the kids. We're teaching the kids how to work together, how to appreciate, appreciate each other's talents, um, how to lean on somebody for information, um, not necessarily how to be resilient. I'm not really a big fan of resiliency. Um, well, that's a very popular term. Yeah, I know. But it also kind of implies that, you know, you have to toughen it out. And I've I've made it through this this trauma. And that makes me resilient. I, I really like the word perseverance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that speaks to what these kids, who these kids are and not what they are, or what they have experienced. So because are you really resilient? Have you really gotten over the trauma? Have you really, you know, we have daily trauma that we're complete, always getting over. Um, sometimes we mask resiliency with overworking, you know, um, but it's I don't want to say these kids are resilient. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they persevere through adverse experiences and um, they know how to handle that adversity. And I'm proud of them that, of, for that. But I don't want them to be so used to it right. that they become resilient. Uh, and that other people in the community think uh, they can do whatever they want because these kids are resilient. Yeah, it just normalizes this mm-hmm. behavior and the environment and um, speaking with social workers that I work with, especially our social worker, Cinemed. Uh, resiliency just isn't a popular term for her either. She's kind of opened up my mind to focus on um, teaching these kids on how to persevere through stuff. You might, you might go through experiences. You might see some experiences, uh, but don't, don't normalize them. Don't get used to them, but do, do get used to succeeding um, in spite of those experiences. Um, so yeah, we're we're teaching them that, and we're be we're becoming the adults that they can lean on uh, through whatever experience they're going through, uh, if through our education or through our lived experience, we're able to help them, guide them, and navigate through them through those those times and those trials. Uh, we have a rubric here uh, at uh-huh. Mecca. We we use an instrument. We call it a rubric, a success rubric. It's the There are those things that we're looking for to cultivate or foster in the high school students and the middle school students we work with. The number one uh, is the number one on the list is persistence and social skills, having a plan, being engaged and financial wellness. But number one, persistence. And we know it when we see it, you know, some kids will just crawl through glass to complete a task, get a degree, a certification. Yeah. They always show up, right? They're dependable as duct tape. So, mm. yeah, it's a it's certainly a role model. I mean, to be that way for some kids. So you're working 
in an after-school program, and I, I need you to talk a little bit about the violence prevention piece and, and the history that you teach about where young people come from. Yeah, so the, I mean, we're serving African American kids, some Latina American kids that are uh, in our in our um, this cohort of ch- children that we have, um, and so for in, in order for us to really equip these kids with the skills that they need to not only be educated and get to college, just to be citizens in America, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we have to equip them with some knowledge and some history about who we are. Um, before, you know, we were enslaved, before Western civilization, um, you know, took over our culture. Uh, We have to explain to them that what you're living in right now as an environment isn't normal. It's not a normal environment. It's not how we behave uh, with one another historically. Um, We are are a people of hospitality. Uh, We are people that takes care of each other and the way that the the media paints um, black and brown people in the community that these children see, they they paint them as menace to societies. They paint them as um, the invisible invisible uh, community. You know, these these kids uh, are are the voiceless, as as they say. So um, we definitely empower them. Uh, we give them. Um, traits and personalities that we know um, are historically given to us or, or uh, like integrity uh, and how how important it is to be integral uh, going through life. So we build integrity walls with them. Um, right now, we've been talking about the importance of integrity and how uh, if your group, if your village uh, has high integrity, it is hard for anyone of, of um the opposition, um, which is someone with negative intent for your life, uh, it's hard for them to get through that wall. Um, it's hard for them to climb over that wall, to break that wall. Uh, if you're standing on honesty, truth, responsibility, confidence, love, passion, um, purpose living, you know, legacy building, all of those things. Uh, if we just did a, a project where we created a mural where all of the kids were able to put their pers- their purpose and their gift and how that purpose and gift is going to feed back into the community. Um, what will they do with their talents if it brings them a certain amount of resources? How will they give back to the community, right? And that's It's only, it's all hospitality. Westernized culture has just monopolized it and made it a, a trade that people can now, you know, you have a server, right? But what's really a server? A servant. That's what it is. What's what's a bell a bell guy? What's a you know all of these jobs that they made in hospitality are just something that we are naturally are, uh, and we just want to give that back to these kids and saying that this is what you naturally do without monetary gains, without without suggesting that they become um, you know bellhops and waiters and waitresses. Yeah. So this is this is this is um, us teaching them the importance of of service and. Mm-hmm. And um, what it is to be a servant without monetary gains, just doing it because it's something that you owe back to the community because somebody served you. And most of these kids don't understand that theory because they don't have people serving them. Uh, So we are a reflection of that light. We're a reflection of that service. And uh, as they start to see adults starting to serve them, um, give them community and give them village, then they'll start to emulate that. They start to mimic that. 
we prepare them for the systems that are before them as they get older. Uh, we let them know about the school to prison pipeline. Uh, you know, Craig, in, in 1971, the Charlotte Mecklenburg School Board uh, implemented a policy to assign community service as a punishment for anyone who has certain violations of like dress code. They, re- they re-approved that in 2012. You know, I did a little homework. Yeah, how, how asinine is it, that? It's a district policy. It's not just one school. And, you know, to your point about service, on the one hand, we're saying how important it is. On the other, we're saying, yeah, we're going to punish you with service. Just, it just boggles my mind. Yeah, because we know you hate it so much that we're going to punish you with cleaning up the community or punish right. you. With taking care of somebody, we're gonna punish right. you. Maybe. And it's and it's something. Honestly, if if somebody told my child that you're gonna have to clean up the neighborhood because you got in trouble, she's not really gonna be mad about it, mm-hmm. right? So that starts at the home too. So all of these things that we're giving to these kids is stuff that they need to be prepared for um, as they get older. Unfortunately, these systems aren't set up for them to win when you're coming from a po- coming from poverty and. Put on top of poverty, you're African American or you're part of the black and brown community, right? So mm-hmm. on top of poverty, you have your skin color that's that's against you. So preparing them for those systems, which we call traps, uh, mm-hmm. we want the kids to be able to identify, wow, there's a liquor store in my neighborhood. There is there is a um, a broke down playground in my neighborhood. There's a there's a, a rec center that I can't even use in my neighborhood. There is all of these things in my neighborhood. But when I go to someone else's neighborhood, it looks completely different. Right. And I want them to be able to decipher it and say, is this on purpose? Mm-hmm. And well, what do you know, we do to get out of this? Corey, Senator Cory Booker is fond of saying that more black and brown kids die from drive throughs than drive-bys. In other words, the the food deserts that uh, black and brown communities live in or the preponderance of fast food places. You see why why diabetes is so high, high blood pressure, et cetera. So you're right. Systems, traps, as you say. I like it. Yes. I I will top him and say most black kids die from white supremacy. Mm. Not drive-throughs, not drive-bys. White supremacy. But white supremacy. I'll be thinking about that all night. We have um, only a minute left. Uh, Shelly, you have any takeaways for us? This interesting hour we've just spent together. Yeah, well, I just want to say that um, uh, I've so enjoyed working with Heal Charlotte and being more involved with their organization and the work that they're doing. And I see the way the kids respond to Greg and his team and you know, when you give kids relevant information, something that can affect them, and you you put people that look like them and you show them success, it inspires the kids. And I watch that every day in this after-school program. So just want to say thank you, Greg. Thank, well, you, Shelley. thank you, Greg, for all the good work you do. Thank to you, my friend. In the community. Well, we're, we're in this together. Yes. Uh, thank you all for listening, for tuning in. We hope that you join us next week with another interesting program about the school experience and how we can reinvent school. We're going to try to focus on what's positive and what's possible, not simply what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, until then, make sure you check out Heal Charlotte on the web and make sure you uh, take a moment to go to meched.org. Both organizations could use a, a donation from you if you're so inclined. With that, thank you all. We'll see you next week.
Same time, same channel. Thank you for listening to Let's Reinvent School. Tune in next week as we provide more great insight into the state of the public education system. Until next week, class dismissed.